Welcome back to Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall, trying to talk about everything that we can to help you build wealth and build a more prosperous future. And talking about prosperous, Eli, I don't know if you caught it last night, but the Iowa Hawkeye women's basketball is a prosperous program right now. Yeah, they're playing uh, really good basketball. Uh, they didn't seem to – they're just making a lot of plays, and they're not getting too high. They're not getting too low. They're real steady. It's fun to watch. Did you watch the game last night? I did. Yeah, I stopped. It got kind of boring towards the end. but So I can – I'll honestly admit this. I probably watched less than five women's basketball games my entire life up until the last four months. And it's almost like the Iowa Hawkeye women's are must-see TV. Caitlin Clark is absolutely amazing. Yeah, she's pretty good. She's like, she's almost like a girl version of Steph Curry, really. I mean, I don't know that I've seen a three-point shooter like her in NCAA women's basketball that can make shots from as far away as she can. I mean, she's absolutely phenomenal in all ways. Just every single, even her passing, it's, it's really, really fun to watch. So we watched the whole game last night. My girls are into it. They watch, They didn't watch it last night, but they were in bed. But they've been to two of the games. And my wife sprung it on me that if they go to the if they go to the championship, apparently I'm going. Oh, are you? I Where guess. is it? Dallas, your in favorite Dallas, place. Yeah, you're gonna go. Well, my wife says we're going. I don't know if that I know means what we're that means. Go. It means you're going. That means I'm going. Um, so my that's kind of funny because now my daughter wants to play basketball. So this weekend, um, the hoop was up at 10, 10 feet tall. I obviously don't go out and shoot hoops, and my oldest is eight, so she hasn't really taken an interest in basketball. But um, she wants to shoot baskets now because we've been watching the the girls' basketball team. So I lowered the hoop to uh, – I put it at eight, eight feet for her because she's only eight years old. So, But she's playing. She's ready to play ball now, so – it's kind of cool to see. My seven-year-old wants nothing to do with basketball. She likes to watch it. She likes to go to the games. My three-year-old then asked me to get a hoop. She goes, Dad, we need one of those hoops for me to throw this ball through. I got an extra right. one at the house you can have. Is it like on Like wheels? an inside. Yeah, it's like an inside uh, little It's not like a Fisher-Price one. one. Is I already threw the Fisher-Price one away. Um, It's a little sturdier than that. Yeah, I found one that's like you can roll it in and out, but it has like a base you can fill with water or sand. It goes to like six feet up to I think maybe eight or nine feet. It doesn't go ten. Yeah, but I thought that's okay. A, that's a little more heavy duty. I thought you just meant like in the basement, something that she can shoot at. You see my girls, right? They're gonna be dunking. No, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, okay. well. With that said, let's kick the show off and. You know, today I thought it'd be good to talk about what's some good financial advice for every generation out there, whether you're, you know, 16 years old and getting your first job, whether you're 75, which I highly doubt there's many 75-year-olds listening to my podcast. But that said, I think there's one little bit of advice we can offer to each generation. And when I think of Gen Z, which is you know, individuals born from 1997 to 2012, 11 to 26 years old. I think you're probably going to agree with me, but I think one of the wisest decisions you can help them make or they can make for themselves is to get started on a tax-free retirement, which is really revolving around a Roth IRA. 
And one of the things that we've talked to more and more individuals about, and many families don't even know this exists, is you can get, do a custodial Roth IRA for your kids who have a job. A lot of kids have a job at Hy-Vee or detasseling or all those different things in the summer that someone could do. That makes them eligible for a Roth IRA. It does, and it's uh, it is a good idea. the The custodial Roth. Sometimes I wonder why not why more people don't do it, or how would you say that? I wonder why more people, yeah, don't do it, or they should do it. So I think more people should do it. I know why. Wow, that was a really complicated way to say what I was getting at there, but um, I know why, Elias. I know why people don't do it. Probably just don't know about it. We don't talk about it. Yeah. We do a poor job of educating our clients who have kids about what are the options to get their kids started. You know, I'd be interested if you went out and, you know, found a 15 year old and someone who worked from 15 to 18 at Hy-Vee and they put 3000 bucks in for three or four years. Well, that would grow to over, let's just call it 50 years until they actually retire. It'd be amazing. Oh, and you're getting look. people started off on the right, the right, you know, the right foot per se. You're getting them going in at an early age. You're teaching them all the important lessons. And it can be automatic for those kids, too. And we talk about how to make a investment plan repeatable, how to make it easy, make it systematic, and make it all the time. Well, you can do that for a Roth IRA. Your kid could make $3,000 and put $50 a month away. Yeah, Oh, absolutely. So I actually have a friend who's parents. They're savvy, good with their money. Um, he started working at 16 and his dad said, whatever you make, you're going to put in your Roth IRA account. And he's my age. So right around 35 now. And you can imagine how this would go when you're 16. Like you just think, oh, my parents are so lame. They're making me save my money. I want to spend it. And that's how he felt too at the time. But now 35 years old and been putting um, maximum contribution in a Roth IRA since 16 years old. He's probably pretty happy that um, that his parents guided him that way and said, hey, this is what you should do. And you're not like when you're 16, you're not going without, right? His folks were giving him spending money and stuff to have fun. Just wanted to teach him a lesson about being responsible um, but I don't, yeah, I don't know anyone who, if you started real young like that, how that would be a bad, a bad thing for you to do, or would you ever regret doing that? Probably not. It's probably going to be a beneficial move. Well, I mean, so we're only thinking about it for retirement. Arguably the, the cost basis in that five or in the, uh, the cost basis in that Roth IRA, you can pull that out for a first time home purchase. You down payment on a house. There's options to do with it. You know, there, there's some flexibility to that Roth IRA because it's after tax dollars. But I think it's just like step one of getting kids on the right track. We've talked about this before that most kids in America get started on the wrong financial track coming out of high school because the first thing we tell them is to go in debt to go to college. So instead of starting on the wrong track, we get them on the right track to start with. And they start seeing how money can work for them versus how money always works against them. And that kind of leads us to the next, you know, the next um, band of people, which are millennials. So that's age 1981 to 1996. 
unfortunately, I missed the millennial age bracket by a two year years. or two, right? Yeah, about three years actually. I was born in '78. Good for you. You're a Gen Xer. That just sounds tough. You know what I mean? I wish it I sounds was... tough. Yeah, I mean, than yeah. Mid- millennial. Yeah, yeah. Who wants to be called a millennial? Whatever. Um, but there's for... so much bad to bad like press to millennials like turn into this really negative word i feel like it's like just which it's been popular to um well i think people for just, older generations to criticize younger generation probably since the beginning of time but just millennial just i feel like millennials get beat up i'm one of them i'm sure if you look at every single generation we're all pretty similar but i, I do think the one thing with millennials is they've always had this little keep up with the joneses type environment the other thing about millennials is they've never seen interest rates this high they're they're they grew up in the world of zero percent interest rates we can buy everything without having to really pay a lot of interest for it so i feel like there's a little bit of a gonna need to be a shift in their mentality as to how they spend money and that may be the the big surprise, the aha moment where, oh, wait, that house is going to cost me 6% and that car loan is going to cost me 8 it's And that credit card's 19 deal. Yeah, it's a yeah. different deal with those It's rates. different than what they've had the last 10 years. But I think the one thing millennials should be thinking about at this point in their life is they're probably getting to the point where they have some capacity to save meaningful amount of money. Let's be honest, when you're 20, 21, 22, 23 till, you know, 27, you're just getting started. And this is when you can build like good money habits, saving money. But between 27 and 42, you're starting to earn some good income in a lot of cases, especially if you're 40. And this is when you probably need to really get serious about it. And you can look at clients that we work with here, Elias. We have what we call super savers the people that are really serious about it. And this is about the age when they start mid thirties to forties is when people are getting really aggressive about starting to save. And one of two reasons, either they feel like they should have done it 10 years ago, or they're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And they're like, man, I better get serious. If I'm going to have any light at the end of that tunnel. Yeah, you're right. Any, any younger than, age 27 and there are people who are pretty serious younger but yeah i would say this is kind of the wheelhouse age for the people who are going to get serious and maybe do some financial planning and they know that they should just um you know know that they could delegate that part of their life and they're looking for some help um here's the other interesting thing i think about at least the younger millennial age group going into the Gen Z age group and a consideration for them is where they're consuming financial content. I think especially with uh, the younger millennials and Gen Z kind of like the 60 seconds of information through like TikTok and the reels. And I'm not above any of that stuff. Like you, I am, I love YouTube reels and like, especially now that the algorithm knows what I like I see all the comedians I like. I see the stuff I'm interested in. And it's just 60 seconds at a time, right? It's easy to sit there and lose 25 minutes, 60 seconds at a time. But okay, there's some. Hold on, you're millennial. Yeah. What comedians are you watching? I have to know. Because there's like three that are popping up in my Netflix, my YouTube all the time. 
Do you know their names? Um, probably. So I really, I, I think most of the guys with like Joe Rogan and Theo Vaughn and Tom Segura, like those about, guys are all kind of in a pack. Is it Burt Kreischer? Kreischer? Yes, but I probably have an unpopular opinion of him. You have to watch The Cabin. The Cabin? It's hilarious. So I actually don't find Bert funny, to be honest with you. You'll find The Cabin funny. I think he's entertaining. Um, I probably will. I probably like watching his stuff. I just don't. He doesn't really make me laugh. I feel younger. Why? Because I'm watching the same stuff as you. Yeah. What about so- Matt Reif? Um, if I saw him, I might recognize him. He does like improv where he'll ask somebody something in the crowd and then he'll just kind of like go off of their, what they say or their reaction. How old is he? Millennial. Okay. I, I probably seen him. I probably seen some of this. I didn't mean to get Um, you off track. When you say you're just watching all these comedians, like every night I fall asleep to Theo Vaughn or, or Burt. Yeah, well, Netflix. see, I, I do. I real, I do enjoy comedy and that entertainment, and YouTube knows that, so they're very good at putting that in front of me. Um, what were I don't even remember what we were talking about now. Millennials, Gen Z, yeah, ages twenty-seven to forty-two. Well, you you mentioned about consuming information. I think that's like a really good, important thought because I I feel like this is the generation that gets their financial information or what they believe is credible financial information from the internet. Like, I feel like they're the first people to go there. I was watching a Dave Ramsey clip this morning before I came in here. Somebody called up the Dave Ramsey show and I'm going to see how you, how you think this went. Okay. I have a bunch of money in the bank. I've been waiting to invest. It's like 135,000. I've been waiting to invest it in gold and silver because I think central banks are going to collapse. This was a question that someone asked Dave. That was a question on on Dave's show that was asked. I watched the reel, or not the reel, but the clip this morning. What do you think, Dave? You know what Dave's response was. Yeah, so I know his response. Someone who's thinking that's going to be hard to change their mind. Well, his Um, response was, you're spending too much time getting your information from the internet. Yeah. Most of this stuff is not true, which most of the stuff that's out there on YouTube, it's there for clickbait. Someone's trying to get you to click on it, and that's it. The second thing is he talked about gold as an investment. Over the last 40 years, it's averaged about 2%. doesn't pay a dividend. And then he also talked about why are you waiting? Like you're waiting for the one thing to not happen. If the central bank collapsed, his point was, Every single business as you know it today would be out of business. And what's gold going to do for you? Nothing. Nothing. You know what he said you should have? Bullets. Because people are going to come for your water and your gold. That's what he said. Dave Ramsey said that? Yeah. He'd rather have bullets than water. I mean, if that happened, but think about it. If the central bank collapsed, it would be chaos. Nobody would be able to access, all the money would be gone at the bank. Like, you wouldn't be able to access it. And his point was, what's gold going to do for you? You can the, barter. But what's it going to do? There's no utility no, I, to it. I know. Like, I know that. People, I agree. You don't have to trade food and water before you trade a little bar of gold. Right. Yeah. Precious metal is not valuable to, if in our society, if the all the banks collapse, there's precious metal is not valuable it's to not, anyone. It's not valuable I mean, if you maybe, have to eat. Maybe things that can... Uh, 
or applicable to like electricity and things like that potentially. But if I have a limited supply of like food, I'm not trading my food for a little coin. No, I'm going to keep my food. You're going to need your bow and your arrow to get more food. You're going to go need to get some food. And guess I'll barter with my food. Whatever else you need. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Water, but shelter, point was, whatever it takes. The whole point of it was his first reaction response to this was, you're spending too much time consuming your financial information from the Internet. And I understand we're on the Internet. We're not here to get people to, like, clickbait this. We're trying to give people reasonable information. And we've talked for years in this office about having a media filter. Filter out where you're getting your information, what's good information, what's bad information. And unfortunately, like TikTok Reels and all the other, you know, social media places, there's some good information, but a lot of it is just people trying to get clicks and views and get yeah. you to watch and, what and they're putting out there. The thing you got to remember, you have to have a certain amount of knowledge to even start filtering out the good and the bad, right? Especially with finance. If you watch a TikTok like I know we we uh, reacted to a TikTok on our show one time where you could start with $100 and then through this person's trading strategy in one year have a million dollars. Like things like that that just sound ridiculous, um, they, they probably are. It's probably not possible. It probably can't be done. Um, but But I think if you're moving into this time of your life where you do feel it's time to get more serious – um, you know, a media filter could be something. Start deciding where you're going to get your financial content and stick with that and don't maybe always fall for the the, the sensational headlines. And even, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, I watch CNBC for a lot of my financial news and even their programs, like when you were watching theirs, you you feel like, oh my gosh, all the banks are going to go out of business. Well, there's a reason they're driving those feelings. They need you to come back and watch again. That doesn't mean that it's true. That doesn't mean it's going to happen, but they can't just deliver, like they can't just deliver news like vanilla ice cream, right? They got to spice it up and make it exciting. So you turn the program on tomorrow again and they can get their ratings. So one of the things we could do for millennials, I think is give them like four really easy things to do that has nothing to do with trying to outthink this, trying to, you know, get the next quick hit off YouTube or find the next hot stock. Just be really boring. Sometimes boring is just the best option. So the first thing I think if you're a millennial, you should be thinking about is saving shouldn't be a choice. I think for a lot of millennials in that I know saving is kind of like an afterthought. It's like, Hey, I'm going to live now FOMO fear, missing out all these different things. And they haven't, they've let savings be a choice at this age of your life. is not a choice. This is your chance to get ahead. So don't let it be a choice. And the first way you can do that is take advantage of your employer match. Most employers out there that have a retirement plan offer a match. When somebody tells me they're not getting their employer match, the first thing I like to tell them, you're not getting paid your full amount. Yeah, when you don't take the match. They, and they, they say, well, what do you mean? Yeah, I am. I get paid $22 an hour. I'm like, no, actually, 
you get paid $23 an hour because if there's an employer match of 5%, the employer's planning on you getting the match when they build your compensation package. Yes. Most people want to get paid all the money they're entitled to get paid. We need to get our employer match. Yes, you do. Free money. If you cut coupons, if you use a high V fuel saver, if you do any of this stuff and you don't get your employer match, shame on you. Yeah. Easiest thing you can do. And purely just from the numbers side of it, if they match you 3% for putting in three, for example, it's you just got a 100% return. You got free money. It's arguably the best investment you can make. It's a guaranteed 100% return. Right. And there's, there's nothing else out there guaranteed like that. So it has nothing to do with investments or taxes or any of this complicated stuff. It's just, Oh, you give 3% of your pay. It's a hundred dollars. We're going to give you a hundred. Why would anybody ever turn that down? But here's part of it too. We was talking percentages. So people don't think 3% is going to make a difference. 3% a huge difference. Oh, an additional 3%. Additional 3% is huge. Yeah, and I think in addition to those couple strategies, I think saving your raise and not spending all of it on lifestyle, and and I want to kind of clarify a little bit. I I think you should give your retirement a raise annually, and you should um, increase your lifestyle a little bit too, because you should be like especially. I tell people all the time. You mentioned super savers earlier. Well. Sometimes when you're working with younger super saver type families, you almost have to coach them into it's okay to spend some of this money. Like the other day, someone, they have a truck that they want to replace. If they replace what they're currently driving and it's really old and it it, it just needs replaced. They want more reliable, but they're, we don't know if we should spend the money. Them buying a new vehicle will have no negative uh, negative impact on their long-term outlook. So if you're being responsible and you're doing all the things you should, at some point you can't just cut out everything you enjoy for lifestyle and, you know, pinch every penny and save every, every nickel possible. You should be rewarding yourself on the way too. Um, and, and then the last one we have here is hire a financial advisor to, uh, help guide you or get professional help. Um, you know, there's no guarantees that if you hire someone, everything's going to work out. But what I will say, if you hire someone and kind of build a partnership and you execute the things that you talk about, you take advantage of the recommendations that you're being given, I think you increase your probability of succeeding with money a lot more than than just winging it or going alone at it. I do believe that. Well, the neat thing about this age is this is where you can actually, for someone who's saved some money, if you've saved zero dollars, doing a financial plan is not going to help you yet. But if you have, you've been doing your 401k, you've accumulated some assets, and you're 40 years old, this is the chance you can say, hey, what does this look like 25 years into the future? And is it really an accurate reflection? Probably not. But what it can do is, hey, am I on track? If I want to retire at 58 and I'm 40, am I on track to do this? And if I'm not, and that's truly my goal, what do I need to do to get on track? This is all about laying out this long-term game plan to put you into the spot you want to be at at a certain time. We've talked about it before that people overestimate what they can do in a year, but vastly underestimate what they can do over time. 
And this is a very, very, very kind of big insight to that. Because if you say, hey, what can you do the next year? Oh, I can save 22% of my paycheck. Well, probably not. If you're saving five, you're not going to save 22. Yeah, like, that's, that's not, not going to happen. Re- that's not realistic. But if you look at 18 or 19 or 20 years, you can take time to get to that spot. Okay, I'm starting at five. My goal is this year to get to seven, the next year to nine, and we'll get to 22 over time to accomplish this long-term goal. And that's where I think the plan helps these individuals. Just, hey, am I on the right track? What do I? If not, what do I need to do to get on the right track? Then we roll into what you called the best name group of all, Gen X. And I fall into this group, so I probably have a little bit of insight into this. But I'm on the younger side of this group, right? I just barely make it into into this group on the younger side. And I can tell you from personal experience that when you hit 40, I'm 44. When you hit 44, I don't think the end's in sight because I don't really ever plan on maybe stepping away. I'm sure I will at some time. But my wife thinks the end's in sight. And she talks about it a lot. And you start to get really serious about saving. Because your wife says, what are we going to be able to do when we're 64 or 60? And you got to start matching goals at this time. You're setting your goals and priorities and how much you want to live on. And then you have 20 year runway when you're 43 or 44 to make it happen. Yes. And I think some of the common things that that we see or that we discuss with people um, and I think maybe the kind of the hurdles and the obstacles well, now, if you've been a good saver and a good investor, at this age, you start to have some real money in your accounts. And a year like last year happens where the volatility gets really bad and the market's down 20, 25, 30%. Um, it's not necessarily the percentage that starts to bother people, but they look at that total dollar amount and that gets really painful. It's a huge poke in the eye, but staying the course becomes even more important now or at that time. And really, you know, I know a lot of the recommendations for the kind of the younger parts of Gen X that we work with that aren't transitioning into retirement over the last year or two has been really the way to solve it is to keep adding fuel to the fire. If you can save a little bit more money, do it. Cause inevitably when people's accounts go down, it's the first big fluctuation of their life. You know, they, they want to know, is it time to get more conservative? You know, should I, should I be dialing back the risk? And that's really specific to each family. But, you know, I think for, you know, if you're still going to, if you're still working and contributing a lot, you just got to stick with it and don't get knocked out of the game. I think that's good insight. I think this is the first time, you know, if you think about people who are 43 and up, this may be the first time they've watched their investment account go down over a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And, and for these people, it wasn't too long ago that their total account could have been a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, because so, it starts to ra- yeah, it can get pretty rapid, especially the last twelve years. If you're you a super up, saver and we had the greatest bull market ever, yeah, it averaged like fourteen percent for ten years. I mean, that means you're doubling your money every like six years. Right, like, that's easy to get. Like, oh yeah, this is awesome. This, this is, is how just it works. the way it works. Yeah, and it's yep. not. 
so for, I think your insight is to staying the course, the first time you see your account go down a hundred thousand dollars or $200,000, you get that feeling like, Oh boy, did I do something wrong? And fortunately I'm privy to all the other knowledge that we talk about. So I'm less emotional about it, but it's still not fun to watch your account go down like that. So if it's not fun for me, it's not fun for clients. And a lot of people, especially if they're 58, because that's kind of the upper end of this, Elias, the market goes down 20% and they for sure have a level of uncomfortability because they're thinking, man, I was going to retire at 60 or 61 or 65. And what does this actually do to my retirement picture? And I think this age age demographic of individual, this is where having the financial plan is probably most important. To provide to provide some conviction and conviction. And, you know, when you're 50 and if you have a shot at retiring, you better have a plan. If you don't, you're winging it. And I can tell you with 100 percent certainty that if you come into our office at 58 years old and you tell us that you're going to retire at age 60 and you haven't saved enough money, there's not a whole lot of help I can do over a two year period of time. The discussion is probably going to be you're working longer or spending less. You know, if if you think you're going to do a financial plan two years before retirement, everything's going to be rosy. It might be, but it might be a bad surprise as well. If you're sorry, say that again. If you're going to get serious two years out. Yeah. If you're going to go do a financial plan and you think this is all you need to do two years before you retire, you might have a bad surprise. Yeah, yeah. There's you don't probably, have time to yeah. make any changes. Your surprise is, oh, yeah, by the way, I need to work till I'm 66 now. And if you were dead set on retiring at 60 and I tell you you need six years longer, you're not going to be very happy when you leave here. No. So this is the age it's critically important to start laying out my goals. This is when I'm going to retire. I know I'm on the right track from a saving standpoint. The other thing is, if you come in at 58 and you're going to retire at 60, regardless of what I tell you, you might want to know how much you can spend versus you just kind of winging it. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the, you know, the financial plan and making goals and then kind of sticking to it. I think in addition to that, one of the the things I really like on the outline here today was one of the tips was to stay stay humble. And I think what it's getting at for like in this age group, if you have your first bad markets that have really negatively impacted you, because I think the other thing we see from this age is people kind of try to start to outsmart themselves. They think they can outsmart the market. They can, they get involved. Hey, I heard about this strategy. What do you think of this? I heard this company's going to 10 X the stock price. What do you think about that? Um, and I like one of the lines in here, even if you think you have a winning strategy, the market may still prove you wrong. Um, and, and I think that's something where you you can learn that, you know, you can learn those lessons the hard way. And, you know, at, at this point you, you could, ultimately you could make some things that maybe on paper, you could implement some things that maybe on paper you know, you feel better about and are more conservative, but there could be a lot of opportunity cost there. And if you're really, you know, if you're 
kind of sticking with good guidance and controlling the things you can control because in investing, you can't control market fluctuations, right? That's outside of the things you can control. But if you know why you're investing, you've established some goals other than I want to make the highest return possible. Like you have some lifestyle goals and I know that this money is going to provide this someday. If I stick with the asset allocation I've determined is appropriate for me, I know all these things are going to work out. And I think that stops people from kind of stubbing their own toe or as this outline has it put, just staying humble throughout the process. And as we wrap that up, we roll into baby boomers and the first thing on and baby boomers are 1946 to 1964, 59 to 77. And I think you're going to agree with me on this. This is probably the most important thing a baby baby boomer can do is put together a spending plan. You need to have a distribution strategy going into retirement and through retirement. And last year brought to light 100% why you need a distribution plan. If you didn't have one, you're feeling some level of angst and anxiety because you've been selling investments that have lost money. We've had a premier, the premier bucket strategy for as long as I can remember. Very simple. It's a cash bucket with one to two years of cash, an income bucket, investments producing income, and a growth bucket, buckets designed to grow. And for a long time, people didn't like having that much cash because it paid zero and, you know, cash was trash. Well, well you don't like it until all of a sudden you, you like, like it, it then. So you didn't have to sell a stock investment yeah. that was down 20% to pay for your lifestyle. So the number one most important thing you can do as a baby boomer going into retirement is get a distribution plan. If you need help getting one, you can go to btwellshow.com. We'd be happy to help you put one together. But to do it, you're going to have to do a little bit of homework. You're going to have to figure out what are the living expenses when I'm in retirement? What's the fun expenses in retirement? How long do those last? We'll talk about retirement in different phases a lot of times, and there's really three main phases of retirement. There's the go-go phase. That's when, oh, we retired. All the stuff we haven't done for the last 30 years because we didn't have time, we get to go do. For some people, it's traveling. Some people, it's going to all their grandkids' sporting events, golfing every day, fishing, wh whatever it could be. This phase is arguably one of the most expensive phases. And I want people listening to the show to think about this. If you retire tomorrow... And now you have an extra 40 hours a week that you're not working. You have an extra 40 hours a week. What's going to happen? You're spending more, whether you like it or not, because you're going to go to coffees with your buddies a couple times a week. Your friend might call you up to go to lunch. You might go to happy hour. You might golf twice a week instead of one time a week. It's going to be more money, but it's not going to last forever. You know, arguably, you know, I don't know how many good years everybody has, but I, Bet you you went and polled most people and said, hey, when did you start spending less in retirement? It's probably like 73, 74, 75, 76. And it's not really it's not really because they intentionally did that. 
it probably has more to do with my energy levels, not the same as it was at 63 years old. And that's the next phase. And that's the phase we call the, we call the slow go phase. We still do this stuff. We're just starting to slow down. You know, we're not meeting our friends every Friday night for happy hour. We might still be eating coffee a couple times a week, but we're not golfing four rounds a week. Might be one, just generally slowing down. Right. And the, you know, I guess when it comes to income, the question is a lot of times, you know, what do you want from this money? You just want the money or do you want the lifestyle that it can provide? I think most people, that's what they're looking for. They save the money so they could retire and, and maintain the lifestyle that they've always had. Here's, here's where people make a problem. Here, here's where people run into problems, Elias. They don't want to spend more money. So they're not going to plan on spending more money, even though they will. Yeah, they're typically going to spend more. Great example. You look at my budget. I'll just use myself. Do you think I budgeted it in going to the NCAA Women's Finals Championship if the Hawkeyes get there? No. No. Well, how many people are going to do that in retirement? Oh, we have to go. We haven't been here since 1993. If they go, it's our only chance probably to ever see them win a championship. Yeah, your family's not the only one. Well, they're spur all saying the, the mo- same right. thing. Yeah, they're all saying the moment wanting to plan that. Well, yeah. because arguably this might be the only championship we got a chance at <laughs> as a Hawkeye fan. That's, that's a different that's tangent. Sad, yeah, that's a sad reality. But, but let that sink in. People didn't plan that in their budget. And then what happens? Well, yeah, you don't want to miss out on that. You don't want to miss out on that. But people need to think about it. Do you have desires? What's your what's your slush fund? They got to plan that in the spending plan. And then finally, we slide into what's called the silent generation. This is age 78 to 95. And I'm going to call this the no-go phase. And what I mean by that is this is potentially one of the most expensive parts of retirement because this is where you run the risk of utilizing in-home health care, assisted living, nursing home care. And this is where you want to make sure your estate's in order before we get there. I can tell you, I can't tell you, I should say, how many people I can count that wish they would have bought a long-term care insurance policy or a life long-term care insurance policy or something. So when the time came that they needed care, they didn't have to spend their own money. Nobody wants, listen, nobody wants to buy it. Nobody wants to pay for it. But guess what they hate doing worse? Spending $11,000 a month out of their investment portfolio to pay for this stuff. Yeah, it's and at the, least it's at least something to consider. And here's what the question always is, or the comment. It's not even a question, the comment. I bet it's too late to get any nursing home insurance. Yep, that ship sailed 10 years ago or 15 years ago. But everybody <laughs> yes. wants it when they need it. You know, and then it's yeah. this mad rush. Well, what can I do to protect the assets so they don't all go to the nursing home? These are all things that need to be put in motion well before you get to that state. But no one wants to think about it. It's not fun but you should be putting together all of your estate planning stuff, making sure your beneficiaries are up to date. Make sure you have a will. If you have a will and you move states in retirement, let's say you move from Iowa to Florida, probably want to update your will. 
Yes, Will. I think Wills have this misconception that they're it's a set it and forget it thing. It very well could be if nothing changes in your life and you don't move. But you could have a will in the state of Iowa and move somewhere, and now your will is not is you not need valid. to get one from that state. It's not valid in that state, and um, I think that's probably an overlooked an overlooked aspect of this. And you know, I think another good tip. And I do, I think people are getting better about this, but having some conversations with your beneficiaries and your loved ones about what's going to happen, some of your wishes, so they're all on the same page. I think it is becoming more popular to talk about it where I think at one time it wasn't, just people were just left with whatever it was. It was either organized or not, but you just kind of going in cold without any information. And then the, the, you know, the family members are gone that you really don't know the answer to some of the questions you have. Um, so I think kind of doing some family planning and at least conversations around that is also a prudent thing to do. It's not popular distant generation though. It's not for the silent generation, not popular. They still don't want to share how much money they have, how much money they make. It's much more prevalent with that baby boomer generation. But the old, I'll give you an example. My grandma's 93, 94. She won't tell anybody what she has. Nobody knows. No one knows. Is that why they're the silent generation? She said, don't, don't worry about it. Nobody, I got it taken care of. Nobody knows. And unfortunately I hope it is done. And I'm not saying this happened with my family, but it happens with lots of families. When mom, dad, grandma, grandpa die, and there's significant value left in that estate at some level, a lot of times there's some hurt feelings. That can happen. We have the joke in the office. The fastest way to break up a family reunion is drop a $100 bill on the floor. Yeah. And it's the truth. And every, so, yeah. And everyone says, you hear people all the time, well, the, the I don't care about money. That wouldn't change anything. That's not, that is, that could be true. further from the truth. As soon as, as soon as the rich uncle or grandma and grandpa die, after everyone's done grieving, the first question is, oh, am I going to get anything? You don't. That's the first question people and, start asking. And here's what I want people to think about they don't know what people are going to get upset about. I'm well, an they, only child, so I don't, don't have to care. worry about yeah, it. I don't care either. I have a story that <laughs> a friend of mine, brother's got basically everything. All he wanted was the TV, a TV, a 50-inch plasma TV. Guess what they gave him a hard time about? The one TV? The one TV. Not the Rolex watches or mom's jewelry. The one TV. Not joking. I'm not making it up. So there's Rolex watches. Someone in the family was like, I just really want a new TV. And then people were upset. Yeah. That all he wanted was yep. the TV. Oh, you're being greedy. You want this TV. Yeah. Wow. So you don't know what it's going to be. That's impossible. It could be something yeah. that you don't think means anything to anybody. But I think the point of the story, the point of the show today is really, you got to start set goals and priorities, regardless of what stage you are in your life. And I think if you go back and review what we talked about, you can kind of slide yourself into these different categories and say, this is what I should focus on first, right? If you're really young, it's just getting saving. Step two, start thinking about a plan. Step three, make sure your plan's up to date. Step four, distribution, legacy, so on and so forth. 
but it's all pretty well organized. Uh, with that said, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show today. If anybody needs any help with any of the items that we spoke about, you can go to btwellshow.com. We'd be happy to get you more information. Till next time, thank you for listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional 